Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Two court cases, two fundraising operations, one doing better than the other. The Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador handed down its preliminary decision on one of the cases late last month. We'll be hearing from the lawyer in the Benoit case, Keith Morgan, later in the show. Despite questions about what, if any, impact that decision will have, Morgan says Friends of Halibut has the money for the full trial and the matter will proceed. Financial backers of the other case are far less confident. Dave Wells, chief of the Mi'kmaq First Nations Assembly of Newfoundland, says his group simply does not have the cash for its next case, known as Abbott. Will our legal future be determined by which of two competing groups can raise money, rather than by the merits of the cases? The ongoing tussle between Mifnan and Friends of Halibut feels like the contest between two sports teams, complete with cheerleading and trash talk. For the ordinary Big Ma person trying to get or keep their status, the internal rivalry is a distraction from the key question, where do I put my money? In one of the groups, or maybe both cases, should proceed. Let's look at the Benoit case. In her decision, Justice Gillian Butler issued what's known as declaratory relief to the six plaintiffs. You'll hear in my interview with Keith Morgan what that means in ordinary English. The decision in Benoit may turn out to be a symbolic victory only. As Morgan says, the decision requires Canada to do nothing, and that's exactly what they've done. According to Chief Brenda Mitchell, who we'll hear from later, the feds have not added the six Benoit plaintiffs to the Halibut membership list and might not do so. And even if Benoit does proceed to trial and is successful, the remedy will only apply to the six plaintiffs. Despite the uncertainty, Morgan insists the show will go on. I asked him about the lack of federal response to the decision thus far. Well, I guess we're going to have to take a look at exactly uh, what has been done uh, through the ordering council uh, to uh, uh, to see exactly uh, what action has been taken. We. Uh, uh, in the course of our presentation relating to the uh, uh, to the application, uh, we never took the position that uh, that individuals could not be added to the list. And in fact, uh, the original agreement does allow for members to be added. Uh, our uh, uh, critical issue is uh, the implementation of the supplemental agreement, as well as the uh, deletion of the 10,500 uh, members. Uh, that are currently on the first founding members list. I'm not sure whether the uh, impact of uh, this order in council will result in that, uh, and really that won't be known until August 31st. Let's talk about the the judgment itself. Um, Justice Butler granted declaratory relief, and uh, that's a that's a legal term, and maybe it will be useful for our listeners to to sort of break that down into common English and what that means. Um, I understand it, it, it's a declaration of the rights owed to the six plaintiffs. And what she, what she said in the judgment was that the six plaintiffs had a right under the Corporations Act to question the legitimacy of the actions taken by the F&I which impact them. And that, those are the words from, 
from the judgment. So she, in other words, it's she's declaring what rights are are owed to those six individuals. Is that a correct summation? I think that would be fair. The uh, uh, the litigation itself named the six uh, uh, particular individuals uh, uh, going forward. However, uh, uh, those individuals would be similarly situated to uh, uh, the remaining individuals uh, or the, the majority of the remaining individuals that are now currently subject to being removed from the list in that they were members of the FNI, they had applied for membership, uh, uh, they were granted membership, received their status cards, uh, were then later rejected as a result of the application of the supplemental agreement, appealed those rejections, and uh, uh, have not uh, been successful in being reinstated. Yes, uh, but she did say that uh, all she could do was grant, uh, as she called it, uh, uh, private um, uh, private uh, relief. So even though they are the six are similar situated, uh, I think it's pretty clear that the judgment legally only extends to the six. The government might decide that you know based on that that they would do something different, but legally they are not required by the judgment to do any anything other than add the six and in fact Canada I guess doesn't even have to do that as her judgment said uh, I should ask Canada to do that well as a declaratory judgment uh, uh, it doesn't compel either party to do any specific act per se uh, the uh, the interesting issue here relating to uh, to Aboriginal rights and in particular uh, uh, rights relating to uh, to uh, uh, to the fiduciary obligation of both uh, of the federal government, uh, then uh, the the declaration itself, while in and of itself does not create a specific legal obligation on the federal government or on the FNI to to take any specific action, uh, it could very well found the basis for further action to be taken on people that uh, uh, that have been affected as a result of a uh, uh, potential claim of uh, for relating to their fiduciary obligations. Hmm. Now, let's talk about uh, the distinction between injunction and declaratory relief uh, going into the um into the case um uh we had uh, talked about uh, injunction and um I guess the distinction between injunction and declaratory relief would be that if an injunction were had been issued, um, the entire enrollment process would have come to a halt as a result of the injunction. Uh, not as not specifically. I mean, uh, it, uh, uh, certainly the uh, the relief that was requested or was sought was uh, was to uh, uh, I guess at the outset. Uh, the the relief sought was uh, that the work of the enrollment committee and the appeal masters be stopped, and yes, that would have stopped the overall process. Uh, unfortunately, events overtook us given the uh, uh, the completion of the list as of April 30th. Uh, in that regard, then the uh, uh, the considerations change and the the, the nature of the uh, the arguments change. However, the uh, the overall uh, uh, obligations of the parties do not, and uh, uh, and it's in this regard that uh, uh, there is certainly some uh, some significant findings from Judge Butler on this decision. Right, and uh, I think uh, just on the issue of time, uh, Philip Buckingham for F and I 
uh, had said that, uh, well, don't go looking to us because there is nothing more that we can do because the enrollment process itself is is done now when it's in Canada's hands. So there's nothing we F and I can do. So I guess that was a reflection of the of the time considerations uh, present when you were actually in court uh, June 18 to 20. Well, that was the submission taken by the F and I, but I don't think that that was uh, that was really the way in which uh, Justice Butler uh, uh, felt as to the obligations of the F and I. And in fact, uh, that is why uh, uh, significant directions were given to the F and I relative to these particular uh, litigants uh, as a result of the declaratory judgment. So uh, I would suggest that. Uh, uh, that uh, Justice Butler parted ways with Mr. Buckingham on that particular point and felt that there was more that could be done and should be done by the F&I. And I, I understand, in fact, has been done in relation to advancing uh, the, uh, the cause of these particular individuals as, uh, as it relates to the federal government. Right. We understand from, um, from uh, F&I slash Halibu that uh, uh, F&I has sent off a letter to Canada saying that uh, in line with uh, Justice Butler's decision that these six individuals be uh, their names be kept uh, on the Indian register that they not be removed from the list they have written that letter do you think there's anything else that the FNI has to do as a result of Justice Butler's decision well, the, uh, uh, they have been directed, or the declaration uh, doesn't compel them to do even that, uh, so that there's, there's nothing specifically legal to the, legally that they are required to do. Uh, the, uh, uh, the issue for the F&I is somewhat complicated in that uh, uh, the indemnity agreement that they had executed with the federal government requires them to uh, uh, to zealously defend the interests of Canada in relation to any litigation. Uh, so they are now in a, in a bit of a, uh, 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 a quandary, I would suggest, uh, when it relates to the declaration that's given by Justice Butler to defend the rights of these particular litigants uh, as compared to the interests of Canada in moving the matter forward to the adoption of the of the new founding members list. Yes, and that's certainly the impression we get is that Canada is sort of doesn't really know what to make of the of the decision, um, and they're trying to figure it out. But in the meantime, they are, uh, as far as we know, they are they are continuing onward with um, removing the ten thousand, adding the five thousand, uh, etc. Um, let me. So when we uh, well, I guess we'd stop you there, Glenn, just for a second. Yeah. We don't know that they're intending to remove the ten thousand. We know that the elite and the indication, the specific indication to say that they're uh, moving to add the additional people that were waiting for inclusion doesn't necessarily mean they've decided to remove the 10,000. And I would suggest that uh, uh, that while they uh, they may be, suggest, may be indicating they're not, uh, they don't, they're trying to know, they don't know what to make of the decision of Justice Butler. I think the decision is 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 uh, is uh, ultimately clear, or infinitely clear, and that uh, uh, that there is a significant issue with respect to the self metal agreement, uh, and that uh, uh, that in moving forward, uh, that the federal government is uh, uh, is taking their uh, is ta are taking their chances in doing so. Hmm. 
Yes, and uh, you you make a good point because reading the through the communique that was issued uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon, uh, we sort of are reading between the lines because it's a bit vague. And I did ask for clarification from the media department, but it has not been forthcoming to confirm that the ten thousand are being removed. It's it 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 seems based on the wording that the five thousand are going on. But as uh, there has been, there was no answer to to the direct question about whether the ten thousand were being removed. So, I guess uh, that's still a little bit up in the air uh, on that point. Um, and I would say that that's uh, that's by uh, by design and not by accident. Uh, I think they uh, they clearly need to assess their obligations as it relates to those additional 10,000 uh, before they uh, they proceed with any further steps where they're concerned. Uh, and uh, uh, I believe that uh, that certainly in the uh, consideration where that uh, in that regard is not only the decision of Justice Butler, but also the decision of Justice, Justice Zinn of the federal court. Uh, so uh, uh, that's why there is a caution being taken on the federal side, and which is the first time we've seen it. Uh, the, uh, uh, they have proceeded along a, a pace uh, with this ever since this action was started until this time. Mm. Now, let me ask you about uh, next steps. So uh, when we talked last time, uh, you said that um, regardless of what happened in Junction, we were discussing at, at that time, whether granted or not, uh, the matter would have had to be uh, uh, certified for trial. And you thought that the earliest there would be a trial on these issues would be fall of this year. Uh, is would that still be your estimate of the timeline? At the yes, that would certainly be uh, be where we are on the timeline for this. Uh, uh, the fall would be at the earliest date, assuming that we receive uh, priority from our Supreme Court for the hearing of the matter. Uh, and depending upon the time that the, the parties estimate that a hearing will take, uh, I know that our court is uh, uh, quite congested now as a result of uh, issues uh, flowing uh, from the uh, from the uh, the criminal courts uh, and the requirement for trial within a due uh, within due process or in due periods. So uh, uh, as a result, uh, a lot of the civil matters have been uh, have been delayed. Uh, and whether we can get sufficient priority given the nature of this litigation uh, may or may not happen. So I guess we'll, that waits to be seen. With This matter is uh, case managed before the uh, trial division so that there is the potential that a court or the court can give us priority. Uh, and in fact, the court did give us priority in relation to this application, which had been originally scheduled to be heard as of uh, June 26th. So, uh, so I think that that was reasonable to expect that that will happen again. But I think we're still into the fall of this year for sure. Yes. Now, uh, let me ask you what would happen to the six uh, plaintiffs if, for whatever reason, the matter did not go forward. It seems that their name, the uh, Justice Butler's order is uh, is a sort of temporary uh, measure contingent on the trial of the issues. So if there if there is not a trial and the matter does not go forward, does that mean at a certain point that their names uh, uh, would not be added? Uh, we don't know whether they they have or have not been uh, at the moment. But if if they have, would it mean 
that they might be removed once again if the trial does not take place? Well, I mean, uh, the the simple answer to that, uh, Glenn, is uh, my understanding from the Friends of Halipu who are, are organizing the funding for this particular litigation is that they uh, are funded and are prepared to proceed. Uh, so there really isn't any particular indication uh, that this matter won't move forward. Uh, uh, funding is uh, is being uh, obtained and uh, uh, and basically uh, 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 all intention is to move forward and there is no uh, no indication that we will not be moving forward. Right, and and we hope that's the case, but. Uh, mm. I guess my question is, if the matter did not go forward, uh, would there be a possibility that the six names uh, would not be kept on? And their being kept on is dependent on a trial on the merits. I, I don't know how to answer that one, Glenn, because, I mean, the, the bottom line is uh, we're moving forward. Uh, so uh, uh, the, as, they, as they say in, in the legal context, the, the, if the issue is moved, we're moving forward. Now, let's look at the Abbott case. Justin Philip Abbott left his community in 1992 to pursue an engineering degree and left the province altogether in 1999. He was included on the founding members list, but in the process established by the supplemental agreement, he got one point shy of the 13 required to stay in and became one of the 10,000 people losing their status. Like Benoit, the Abbott case also attacks the legality of the supplemental agreement and the point system. But the Abbott case is being heard in federal court and therefore avoids many of the jurisdictional complications in trying to take on the Government of Canada in the Supreme Court of Newfoundland. Listening to Chief Brendan Mitchell, you get the feeling the feds would appeal the Benoit decision if they could, but there's no legal basis for an appeal because Justice Gillian Butler felt she didn't have the authority to make the feds do anything. The FNI could appeal, but that's unlikely to happen since the decision makers on FNI are the very same people who will be running in the Halibu elections this fall. Meanwhile, the feds are implementing the findings of the last MIFDAN decision, the Wells and Wells decision. Because of the decision regarding applications rejected for failing to establish self-ID, tens of thousands of applications will have to be reviewed again. I talked to Chief Mitchell about the Fed's reaction to the Benoit decision on the conference call they had last week. It seems on the Halibut file, the Feds will do exactly what the courts ordered them to do and not a bit more. So we're talking on, uh, on June 28th. Um, the day after you had the conference call with Canada and the day before you have uh, another of those regularly scheduled meetings in Halifax with, uh, with staff from, uh, from Canada. So let me ask you first what you can tell us about uh, the conference call yesterday, how long it was, who was there, and what were the comments on both sides from F&I in Canada regarding the Benoit decision? Yeah, Glenn, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, there was a conference call yesterday, of course, with the people who were involved with the implementation committee regarding the Halibut file, plus our lawyer, our legal counsel was there, and of course Canada's legal counsel sits in these meetings anyway as a, as a regular uh, matter, of course. So, yeah, the meeting talked about the decision that came out on Friday by Judge Gillian Butler, whereby she provided a directive to the FNI and to me to write a letter to the minister 
to um, ask the minister to uphold the recommendation that she made in her declaratory order to keep the six plaintiffs in that court case, we call it the Benoit case, to keep those six plaintiffs on the founding members list. Uh, and that was the conversation that we had basically about that. And My I understand position, that, letter, that letter was sent, so that part has been done. Yeah, right yes, but it was. You know, for us, it was a piece of, of due diligence, but I really was looking forward to an opportunity to say to the minister, uh, you know, the, the judge's decision or the judge's recommendation as directed would be upheld by us as, as she as, and in compliance with her declaratory order. And I did write, or we did write that letter in my name uh, to the minister asking her to keep those six plaintiffs in that court case on the founding members list. As we know, though, the founding members list went into place on effectively the, uh, June 25th, which is Monday. And right now, I would suggest that the minister hasn't kept those six names on that list yet. But giving her reply back to the letter that I sent her, uh, which would be a response also to the recommendation that Judge Gillian Butler made, um, she would have to put those people back if that was a decision of Canada to do so. And we so, understand I mean, from the community that uh, reading between the lines, it seems Canada is saying they're not on the on the list now, but they will be before uh, August because the list can be changed uh, multiple times. So do you understand that those six names will be added before August? Well, those names were on the list. It appears there have been, they'll be taken off or have been taken off now with the ordering council, but not officially until the end of August. So it would be the case that the minister could decide to leave those six names there. And and, and, and do you know if they have decided to add the six? Well, the, of course, FNI is not a, FNI does not make the list. Canada makes the list. And uh, will Canada uh, put those six names uh, back on? Do you understand? Glenn, Glenn, I don't know if they will. The, the request that was made or the, the, the declaration by the judge was that these six people remain on the list. I've asked the minister to consider you know, doing that, keep those six people on the list. And uh, what happens, come up, that's a decision by the minister in Canada. I can only ask, influence, or recommend. And uh, what happens at the end of the day is, is a decision that Canada will have to make or the minister right. will make in a response back to my letter, which I haven't received yet. Yes, and did, did Fred Caron on the call yesterday say anything specific about those six names? Did he say they, they will be added or won't be added? No, Glenn, that conversation wasn't had. There was no decision or no indication of what was going to happen yet. I mean, for Canada, they'll have to look at this thing carefully. Their legal people will have to look at the decision that uh, Judge or Justice Butler made and then, you know, draw their own point of view on that. I mean, this thing only came out on, on Friday, and I had a chance to review it on Saturday, actually, after uh, I came home from the Maui in Grand Falls. And then we had a conference call on Sunday to try to look at a course of action with our legal counsel. Yes, and, it and is, that it course is a of action was to write a letter. It is a long decision, 36 pages, and hard to follow in some places. So it's not, I think it's fair to say, not easy reading. So it's a bit hard to, to figure out in, in some places. But I, I wonder if, the, if, the, if Canada has indicated whether they're considering an appeal, would appeal. Uh, have they asked FNI uh, whether... Uh, it will appeal as FNI um, consider wh whether it will appeal to Ben Waters. Yeah, Glenn, I'm, I'm not sure what Canada would do. My view on it is I believe that Canada doesn't have a right to appeal because the decision wasn't really on them. It was on the FNI. Hmm. So I'm not sure. I mean, I just was talking off the top of my head. But, uh, I mean, Canada has to decide here if, if they have, and the legal people have to decide if they have a right to appeal at all. 
my first thought is maybe Canada doesn't have a right to appeal here because the directive uh, wasn't really to them. Mm. Uh, and there's been a question or regarding jurisdiction. Could a Supreme Court judge in Newfoundland you know, make a recommendation uh, on what they think should happen? I mean, Canada has to sort all that out for themselves. Uh, for me, I will share this with you. You know, I've never been in favor of taking people out of our band. I begged the minister previously face-to-face to leave our people alone. After having a card seven years, a status card in this country, I find it difficult that the government of Canada would take that card back. I've told okay. that to the minister, I've told that to our committee, and I've told that to the registrar, the, the Indian Registrar for Canada. Yes. I find this to be a very difficult situation. And for me, Glenn, you know, again, this is a bittersweet situation. I'm so glad that 5,000 new members have been accepted to our band, accepted in following a lengthy wait prior to inclusion. But I'm disappointed to see the removal of over 10,000 members of Halibu. This is a very difficult situation for our people and our communities, for me as president of the FNI and chief of Halibu, and certainly for our council. So can we I, weren't can I counting. We weren't counting on this going so deep, and and no one ever envisioned that all of these people would be impacted by the results of this process and a new founding members list. So can I take from that that FNI itself will not appeal because, as you say, Canada perhaps can't appeal because there was not much in the decision about them. So FNI could appeal as FNI uh, considered uh, or decided whether it will appeal. No, Glenn, we haven't had that discussion yet. And uh, right now we'd have to take some time to uh, size up the implications of all of that and, and make a decision sometime later on. So right now we're not even having that conversation. All I've done here was um, you know, write a letter to the minister uh, as directed by, by the judge to say, Minister, we'd like for you to hold off on this thing and keep these people in the band as directed or as recommended by Judge Justice uh, Julian Butler based on the declaratory order that came out of the Benoit case heard last week in St. John's. And and that's a, this is where we are with it. You know, I'd like to keep everybody in the band, Glenn. You know, my, my view, again, is uh, people self-identified as big mob people a long time ago, people who are involved in these 10,000. They've been holding a card for seven years now. I find it difficult uh, and, and hard to, to uh, you know, to, to fathom how this process could cut so deep and take 10,000-plus members of our band. It represents actually about 44% of the initial 23,877. But again, I am pleased that after a very long wait, 5,000 new members are coming in. That's wonderful. But I am disappointed, together with many of our council members, that this situation has happened now and taking 10,512 out. No one could have seen or envisioned the the depth at which this uh, caught uh, or or change made. So let's uh, so let's uh, so it sounds like uh, based on uh, your conference call, the Canada maintains its position that they have a supplemental agreement and and that's that. And the process is continuing as said for as Fred Caron said it would when Mi'kmaq Matters talked to him uh, a few months ago. Uh, the five thousand people are coming on, the ten thousand people are coming out. You have a meeting uh, tomorrow in Halifax, so. Do you expect that anything substantial will come out of that meeting, or will it be a routine meeting about uh, process and um, implementation of the process? Yeah, Glenn, it was. Thank you. It was intended to be both a conversation regarding Benoit and what would happen going forward for the rest of the enrollment process uh, through Wells and Wells. But just for everybody's information, that meeting was canceled. It was postponed in light of this one, and we have another meeting planned in July in Halifax and we'll be better prepared to kind of see where we're going by that time, you know. I so see. the meeting that we had planned to have on Friday 
was canceled in our meeting yesterday. And truthfully, uh, that meeting is, was being held on a day of a Friday of a long weekend, and, and a lot of people were really adjusting their schedules and their family situations to be able to go to Halifax to accommodate. So we decided to postpone that meeting uh, to another time, and I think it's going to be right now in the third week, I believe the third week in July, and it will likely be in Halifax again because of kind of a, a common distance between people in Ottawa and ourselves, yes. and we can actually leave Newfoundland in the morning come home in the evening. So, is, there, is there a date in July, or is just the sometime in the third week? Yeah, again, the third week. We're looking at a date right now, uh, maybe around, I'm trying to remember, around maybe the 24th or something like that. But, you know, we're still a little bit tentative on that, and, and we will finalize a date. And that's it for the show. Mi'kmaq Matters will be at the Miaupukeg Powwow in Con River this coming weekend, and at the Powwow in Flat Bay the weekend after that. Hope to see many of you there. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Bay of Islands Radio, on the Voice of Bombay in Norris Point and Rocky Harbor, and in St. John's. Tune in on CHMR. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.